unethical in 2019 to not uh, be involved in social media as a physician. Well, that's a fairly big call. Can you expand on that? Um, I think what that. What do you mean by that? Well, I think um, I think if we're involved in uh, patient care. Um, and in teaching or research or academics, no matter how you define it, um, it's all about connection. Uh, if they consent to do, you know, to have their information used for research purposes, for audit purposes, for any purpose whatsoever, aside from their direct patient care, that um, I think it's only ethical that we actually share that information. I think social media is a means to let people know the information that's out there from journals that they may not be accessing themselves to, you know, I don't read, you know, I read maybe five journals a month, you know, in terms of anesthesia, but I don't do ICU. uh, So I don't read ICU journals, but holy, there's some amazing things out there that I should be knowing about. Um, So the same thing in Emerge. So I rely on my, my beehive, that's what I call it, to let me know what's out there and what's important. Yeah, I think that that's an interesting point and one of the things that I found valuable about Twitter in particular and I think the varied groups of people that I interact with is that previously I would not be across what is happening outside of obstetrics and gynaecology or even my little area within obstetrics and gynaecology. But because I am friends with um, a a lot of uh, critical care people um, and people completely outside my sphere, I get a glimpse of what's happening across other journals um, and other fields. And that's been um, really useful for me in many ways and educational. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, I think it's easy to say uh, that's others. Like, uh, it's easy to become quite siloed um, and have people think that they don't really know a particular area. And then suddenly, like, I'm looking at these journal articles and thinking, wow, we are all trying to work on this particular problem or, you know, we're not that far away as, as you might think. I don't know. I, I feel like it's provided this reminder that, you know, we're connected. We're all connected. Yeah, and also that we we sometimes are looking at it through a completely different lens, but that's incredibly useful. So, like, you know, ongoing the discussion around tranexamic acid um, in maternity or in other, other things and seeing the recent articles um, in anesthesia about um, the toxicity and the concerns about it being, you, you know, accidentally used intrathecally, that... I knew that before anybody in my, I think, Department of Anesthesia because I'd seen it um, retweeted and commented on by all of you. Yeah, I must say that's a perfect example. I, I was I was absolutely dumbfounded by that. And, and Tanya, full marks to you for kind of, you know, really echoing it and getting it out there and, and, and putting a lot of discussion into it and actually showing what the vials look like in Australia because they look completely different here. Um, it's, it actually doesn't come in a glass vial. Well, it comes in a glass vial, but it has a bung in it and it looks quite different. So... I was, is it in English or Russian? <laughs> yeah, point. I mean, I think that that tranexamic acid, the comment, the commentary on that is just so interesting because so many people essentially have the view 
that whoever has inadvertently injected tranexamic acid intrathecally, that they are not enough somehow, that they weren't paying enough attention, that they weren't good enough, that they weren't smart enough, that they weren't well trained enough. And people sort of say that to protect themselves from the issue. It's like, well, you are different to me. I am superior. It would never happen to me. And I mean, my view is if it can happen to somebody else, it can definitely happen to me. And that that series, and there were quite a number of them, of which 50% of patient di- patients died, that scares the bejeebas out of me. Because we know what obstetrics can be. It can be very, you know, if you're doing a quick spinal, people are in a rush, people are worried, you're trying to get things done quickly. And of course, um, these errors can happen to, to, to everybody. So I think it, it was a really good, um, a good paper really to, to go through the different silos because it included obstetrics and eMERGE and anesthesia and ICU. So, um, you know, I think it was great. And I think the benefit of the social media aspect and in terms of what Laura was saying before is that a discussion was had and in a traditional journal sense, you'd be waiting for letters to the editor and then it would only be the people that took the time to write letters to the editor and then waiting for a response again rather than, you know, this organic discussion that happened with um, and also the ability to then post photographs of the various files and how similar it looked and in different geographical places. And don't you think it's interesting the role of the editor? I mean, I, I spoke earlier about how interesting how interesting the edit is to any process. And I mean, I presume if you write a letter to the editor, it is entirely at the editor's discretion whether your letter gets published or not. And so, isn't social media the great um, the great levelling where everyone can have a voice? Yeah, I thought, um, Laura, the the NPR podcast that you sent through, um, I thought the really interesting thing around that was more around manipulation of social media and, and one of the things where it was talking about, um, you know, the Brexit vote and those sorts of things and advertising. And I thought that, that in some ways for me it's the complete opposite in terms of the power of social media for us um, in the medical world because we have, in fact, more control and more freedom than we've ever had before for exactly what um, Tanya just said. Mm, I think, don't you think um, people in healthcare, maybe I'm being naive, but hopefully we're more cynical, perhaps more savvy, perhaps able to see through things a little better. I don't know if that's true or not, but hopefully our medical training teaches us to critically read journal articles and critically appraise science. I mean, I know any time I've put something up on my Twitter feed that's not quite been right, I've had that immediate peer review where people have said, nah, that's that's just not right. And I've retreated back into my corner and been grateful for the correction. It, it is interesting, though, because I think we're hitting things that we don't really know an answer to. And so there is there tends to be you know, strong feelings on either side of certain topics or a lot of topics. And, you know, I think in some ways, social media is a bit of a blunt instrument in that the nuance of 
facial expression, of human, you know, uh, communication, we, we lose that and, and that it can become polarized quite quickly without it actually really in real life being a polarizing issue sometimes. Yes, I, um, I, yeah, I've noticed that too. Someone says a tweet which he thinks quite innocuous and then the next person gets pretty angry pretty quickly and you think, gosh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that way. But, uh, you know, and I, I think one of the negatives that happens with social media and it, the NPR really was eye-opening for me is the fact that, you know, if we write a letter to the editor, 30 years from now, somebody can look up that letter, right? It's it's on Medline, it's on Ovid, it's on Embase. But when somebody puts something false out on social media, the only people that have a record of it are the companies that own those sites. So you can't go back and say, well, hang on now, you know, what were we talking about even last week? Uh, you know, we may be able to look it up on Twitter, but we can't look it up from two years ago. Um, so there's this lack of accountability and the potential to have things that are not in our specialty, I absolutely agree with you. We tend to critically appraise things, but it's like the newspaper article that you look at and you say, well, that's not true about tranexamic acid. You know, it's much more, you know, um, three-dimensional than what they show in the paper and they really miss the point. And then we turn the page and we read an article about something we know nothing about and believe that it's true. Mm, um, it's true. You know. I think that can be the problem is that, uh, and equally that you say, oh, you know, I, I want to follow that conversation another time and, and trying to search things. And also I thought the thing that I was thinking about in terms of that manipulation is if particular people are in your feed or you're looking at that particular topic, then you're seeing it. But otherwise there might be this whole conversation going on that you are not a part of and have no idea is it happening. Um, Which is what people who aren't on social media at all experience on every topic <laughs> true <laughs> which we have covered before yeah, yeah. nice way to round that off yeah, yeah.